You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters and starters from across Canada. Hello, I'm Jared. My name is Elle. And you're listening to The New Leaf Project. Today is part three of our series from the the Cultivate Learning Party. So we recorded um, some of these presentations um, at an event that we held in Hamilton on April the 9th in 2016, and uh, uh, we picked the the cream of the crop uh, from these um, from these uh, presentations. And uh, these are the stuff that that audiences reacted to, generated lots of good discussion, lots of good feedback. Uh, and L, you might be a little bit embarrassed that yours got picked, but I want everybody to know that L. Uh, didn't pick her own. I picked it for her because I think it is a great talk. And honestly, it's it was one of the talks that really uh, uh, took everybody by storm, uh, and and people loved it. So, L, tell us a little bit about what what you uh, what you shared at the the Cultivate Learning Party this year. Sure. Well, if people are wondering what a learning party is. Uh, if they're like, what on earth is a learning party? Right. Before we, we get to the content. Explain, yeah, right, right. Let's talk about explain what a, what a learning, learning party, party is. is. Yeah. So a learning party is essentially everything that's great about a conference, but without a lot of the extra stuff. So essentially, instead of it being super duper expensive, we charge about $20, $25 for registration. Um, instead of maxing out the amount of people we can stuff in a room, we, we limit the numbers. And so we're trying to create an environment that is... Um, really conducive for great conversation and connecting. And instead of listening to a bunch of talks from paid speakers, um, essentially those who register, we reach out to them and say, hey, um, would you like to speak and share for 10 minutes or less of something that's going on in your life or something that you're creating or something different that you're thinking about? And then we connect together in party pods and we talk about what we've learned and we connect connect with people that are oftentimes, you know, even though they're coming from different perspectives, so much to um, really say to one another and the ability to connect it's just it's a great idea thanks to Pernell Goodyear for coming up with these ideas because uh they, it's a it's a really great way to have a connection with somebody and actually learn from people that are oftentimes even though you don't realize it in the same boat as you so uh that's a learning party yeah they're they're, and, they're sorry to interrupt but they're they're one of the ways that that um New Leaf uh, new leafers connect in their region too. So it's it's a pretty cool way to do things. And one of the ways that, that uh, we used to describe it in the early days is, you know, when you're at like a, a really great conference and you hear a great speaker, um, you know, the sometimes the conversation you have in the hallway or in the foyer of that conference center mm-hmm. is actually mm-hmm. better than, uh, than, than listening to speaker after speaker after speaker. Sometimes you just have to digest. So what mm-hmm. this is, is it makes the foyer or the hallway much bigger part of the conference and makes the speaking part and the listening part quite a bit smaller. So they're really great. We actually have one coming up uh, November 5th. It'll be in Kitchener. Uh, the event's on our website. So we'd love to see you there. Uh, and if you're interested in being one of the presenters, you got to let us know uh, and we'll see if we can get you uh, on the list of presenters. So L. Uh, thanks for jumping in there and saving me and let me interrupt. Um, uh, 
so tell me a little bit about what you're what you're going to share as part of um, uh, what you shared in 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 Hamilton in April. Sure. What are yeah. we going to listen so in, to here? In my um, job, I often spend a lot of time with uh, startups. So I live in the Kitchener Waterloo area. A lot of technology startups here. Uh, even though the death of BlackBerry or the slow death of BlackBerry, uh, was was a sad thing for Canadians, at least in our region, it has created an enormous amount of technology startups. And so um, because of my job, I've been able to spend some time learning from how to start a business and different perspectives when it comes to startups. And to be honest, it wasn't until I was around startups that I really started thinking about, huh, um, what about church startups or church plants? How, how would that all connect? So I found the more that I got involved with technology startups, the more interested I became in church plants. And so I wanted to share some of the perspectives that I had learned over the years and how I could see a lot of interesting ways that church planters and denominations could actually learn and take some cues from our friends in the technology startup world. So that's really what I, an overview of what I shared. And, and I just think the world of this talk, I think it's great. And uh, I can't wait to share it with you all here today. So here is L. Pike, our very own L. Pike, presenting to uh, at the, the New Leaf Cultivate Learning Party happening April 9th in 2016. So have a listen, check it out, and then we'll get back to you after we, we give this a, a spin. ago um, I was having coffee uh, downtown Kitchener right beside a place called Communitech. Now for those of you that might not know what Communitech is, it is an early stage incubator for um, startup technology companies. So essentially people will show up with their idea, they're given seed funding, so they're given money, they're given guidance, and they're given mentorship. And the goal is that after this year or two years that they spend there, that they'll actually have the next million-dollar company. Tapping away on my laptop as I was drinking coffee, I had earbuds in my ears, um, but I wasn't listening to anything except for the conversation that was happening to my right. Uh, You might call that eavesdropping. I call it spiritual snooping, whatever, you know, whatever works for you. So I was actually listening to a venture capitalist spell out the details that was going to make a really young entrepreneur in my city a very rich man. I think he was 21 at the time. And now, I can't say for certain that I knew the spiritual state of this guy's heart, but I had met him a few times, we had some mutual friends, and from what I heard, faith, scriptures, Jesus, this weird thing called church, completely outdated, completely old, and it was antiquated. And why would he spend any time thinking about that? He's the possessor of this really innovative, disruptive technology that was all about propelling people forward into the future. And I have a confession that I want to make. My entire life I have been a Christian, and I had never really, for the most part, never ever given any thought to church plants or starting new missional communities or kingdom-minded things. I just went to big churches and thought, oh, I don't know, they fell out of the sky. I never gave any thought to why or how they were planted. And another confession, I didn't actually really care about church plants or starting interesting and new things until I actually started my own business which sounds very sexy, but I promise it's just a lot of work. (laughs) 
Four years ago, two business partners and I, we took a flying leap off a bridge into a completely brand new and crazy world of entrepreneurship. And though we're not an early stage technology company or even a technology company, uh, we are a marketing and sales firm. And so we've ended up just by nature of what we do and being in the Waterloo region, working with a ton of early stage startups. And the more that I became interested in startups, the more I actually became really interested in church plants and starters. I took a course at Stanford University, also sounds really fancy, but it's free online, and it's all about startups. And the people that were teaching this class are from a place called Y Combinator. And if you haven't heard of that, Y Combinator is based in Silicon Valley. It is by far the largest tech incubator uh, program in the entire world. So companies like Airbnb, Dropbox, uh, a bunch of other names perhaps you would know, technology that a lot of us use actually came from that program. And so when I took this course... um, It was a goldmine of information. The people that were teaching it had really been involved in a lot of really cool things. And the entire time I was there, I couldn't help but wish that the seats of these classes were actually filled with church planters or people that were wanting to start new and innovative things. And rather than a whole bunch of starry-eyed engineers hoping that they were going to make a lot of money and start the next Facebook. So for the few minutes we have left... Uh, because this is like a lot of info, but I'm going to try to fly through it. I'd like to highlight the intersection that I see between startups and church plants and starters. And just so you know, I get it. The idea of using a business, a for-profit business, um, as a template for church planting might make people feel a little squirmy, but stay with me. This is not John Maxwell or Andy Stanley, so push through, I promise. Um, And please don't hear what I'm not saying. I recognize that a lot of the people starting these technology companies, they're doing it because they want to make money. It's very different motivation. But I still think that their pathways to innovation is really something that we should be paying attention to. So with that said, when they go through the program, they're taught that this is what you need to make a successful startup. One, you need a great idea. Two, you need a great product. And three, you need a great team. And that has to be all wrapped up in a really compelling mission. And you might think that I'm going to explain this to you and like make it sound like Christianese, but I'm not. This is actually what they're taught. Uh, and when I'm talking about a great product, please don't think I'm talking about a church gathering on a Sunday. I just wanted to make that little side note for you. So number one, great idea. Startups that come into either Communitech or something like a Y Combinator, they are told to search out ideas that sound terrible. You see, they're convinced that the best ideas actually look awful at the very beginning. Example, the 13th search engine. Without all the extras like a web portal, most people thought that this idea of Google when it first started was completely pointless. They thought that search was over. It didn't matter. Google at the very beginning sounded like a terrible idea. How about the 10th social network? I think maybe some of you have heard of it. Only limited to college students? What a ridiculous idea. Why would you start something, Facebook? It doesn't make any sense. MySpace has the corner on the market. What a terrible, terrible idea. Sorry, Airbnb. I don't want to sleep on a stranger's couch. I'm going to pay money to go stay at the hotel down the street. You see, all of these ideas sounded terrible. Absolutely awful but they actually encourage their students to chase incredibly unpopular ideas, but ideas that they really believe are right. 
unpopular is actually something that they aim for at the beginning. Something that sounds like a bad idea, but it's actually a fantastically good idea. When it comes to starting a startup, these students are actually taught that it is easier to found a hard startup than an easy startup. It's an entire class all about this. It's one of the most counterintuitive things that takes people a long time to understand. And why are they encouraged to start something hard? Well, they're encouraged to start something hard because ideas that simply copy some other existing idea with very few new insights or new innovations, they don't excite people anymore. You're never going to get anybody on board. They won't care, and they're not going to help you. Second point under great idea, you want to take time to think about how your market is going to evolve. Your market, whether you pay attention to it or not, it's going to change. And so your great idea that you think makes so much sense today might not make any sense tomorrow. There's a really large venture, venture capitalist firm called Sequoia. I would say they're probably one of the more successful ones. They have a famous line of questioning that when they talk to every single startup, if they don't have good answers for these questions, they don't even think about investing in them. It's called the why now questions. Why is this the perfect time for your particular idea? Why couldn't it be done two years ago? Why can't it be done two years from now? And how are you structuring your idea to make room for flex, movement, and evolution? Forget how lean your business is. How lean is your idea? Found it fascinating. Next on the list of successful startups, they encourage them to make a great product. Again, please do not think I'm talking about church. Rather, think about mission. So... They encourage them that one of the most important tasks is to make sure that their company builds a fantastic product. And until you build that great product, nothing else matters. If you have a sexy website and some really fantastic branding, Y Combinator actually slaps you on the wrist and you're penalized in their program. Because while most other startups are trying to solve all sorts of other problems, like raising money, getting more press, hiring, finding creative partnerships, what they should be doing is sitting and talking to their users. This is a list of questions that Y Combinator tells them to do to find their users. Sit with them. Understand their pain. What do they care about? What do they get excited about? What are their needs? Why would your product help them? What would it do for them? How would it serve them? How would it make their life better? And what would happen to them if your product disappeared? Ben Silberman, he was the, one of the co-founders of Pinterest. It's reported that he actually ran around coffee shops in Palo Alto, paid strangers coffee, and said, please sit with me, look at my product, give me feedback, and honestly tell me if you ever think you'd use it or you ever think it would even remotely help you. You see, great founders don't put anyone between themselves and their users. These incubators teach their students, don't worry about other people, in your startup world that are raising a lot of money because very few startups ever actually die from competition. They die because they never researched their ideal client, they never understood their culture, they didn't understand what they need, and they never gave them anything that helped them. Next on the successful startup list, I'm sorry, I'm trying to go really quick for now, a great team. And I have to tell you something. This is one of the most profound lessons that I learned from the startup world that has stayed with me and will stay with me for life. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why denominations don't do this. But if you show up at an incubator program as a solo founder, 
they almost always tell you to take your bat and go home and go find yourself someone else that will co-found with you. Because you see, even venture capitalists statistically will not put their money into a company with only a solo founder. They want you to have two persons, two pe persons, two people, because they do not believe that one person should or even effectively could run a startup on their own. It's impossible. They don't believe that one person has enough gifts and talents to actually do this on their own, and they need the support. So they actually encourage these solo entrepreneurs to go out and find someone who complements their skills and passions. I, again, can't understand why denominations don't do this. And finally, mission. They tell their students that the best companies are always mission-oriented and that it's difficult to get the amount of focus and dedication that a startup actually needs unless it has an incredible mission attached and that a real advantage of having that mission is because the founder themselves needs to be really dedicated to it. You see, these incubators, they teach students that it actually takes years and years and years to build a great company. And if you don't love and believe in what you're doing, you're likely going to give up at some point or along the way, and you're going to follow your entrepreneurial bug, and you're going to say that you're a starter. you got to go start something else. But if you don't have a mission that really compels you, you're actually going to do your, your users, your product, a disservice. And that there's absolutely no way to get through the pain of a startup without a really compelling mission that actually matters to you. So great idea. What if church plants and starters sought ideas that sounded like crap? Ideas that to conventional wisdom of Christians would say, man, that doesn't make sense. But they're right and they're good. Imagine if church plants intentionally started with their idea being really flexible, really malleable, open to change, with the assumption that culture is completely going to evolve and change, and their idea better be doing that as well. Imagine if church plants actively sought not to copy some other thing that they heard work down the road, but rather they did the hard work to find the new insights and the new ideas of innovating and creating. How about a great product? What if churches and starters actually thought about how they were trying to love and serve in a really intentional way? What if they sat with the people in their neighborhoods and made intentional relationships before they did anything? What if they sat and listened before prescribing and diagnosing. Again, those questions that they ask them, sit with your users, understand their pain, understand their culture. Who are they? What do they care about? What do they get excited about? What are their needs? How would love and service and relationships serve them? What would it do for them? Imagine if church plants and starters stopped caring about what the church plant or the thing that's happening down the road is doing because they really embrace the truth that competition doesn't matter. What matters is knowing and loving and serving the people that are around them. And what about great teams? What if we stopped basing our church planning models on a solo dude, since it's often a dude? What if we didn't put that burden on one person's shoulders? What if we found people that would complement our areas of interest and skills and passions and we purpose to plant together? Remember my friend I was telling you about? That guy who really is a millionaire, running around Kitchener-Waterloo, the one who I overheard at that coffee shop? Imagine if I could actually say to him, hey, you know that thing that you called old and antiquated and outdated? You know that annoying thing that you call church? What if I could tell him that, you know what, we're actually starting to operate and, and innovate and iterate and change on the same platform that you actually were taught how to build your company? No clue if it would matter to him? Don't know. 
But I got to tell you, I'd at least love to try to have that conversation at some point. And that's all I have. Thank you for pushing through. Thank you. All right, that was L, our very own L Pike, uh, speaking at the last learning party uh, on on April 9th. If you are listening to this in time, we're having another one in Kitchener, November 5th. So we'd love to have you out. Uh, love to have you register for that. If you'd be interested in being a presenter, just let us know in your registration. Send us an email at info at newleafnetwork.ca. Uh, so, L, you and I have a little bit of a disagreement in the background. or I think it's not even really a disagreement. It's maybe just uh, we we haven't fully talked about this. Um, and so uh, maybe in the next few minutes, that's something we could spend a little bit of time clarifying is, um, is, is sort of what are the limits to where business and church should be involved with each other? And, and how, how do they, how do they work well together and how do they uh, not work well together? So, uh, what I think you did a really good job of in your talk is laying out that intersection point between uh, church plants and business. And I, I really appreciated what you had to say because I think you were right. There is a lot in common between businesses and the church. And we can learn a lot from these this startup training that, that you were talking about. So, but where do you see the differences? We talked about the similarities uh, for a few minutes, tell me where you see some differences between the church and and business. Well, there are there are many there are many I think differences. Um, you know, in in my talk, um, I talked a lot about the idea of of learning from the innovation patterns of startups, not so much the monetization. So when we're talking about looking at business models or especially with startups and technology how they innovate and how they iterate and whatnot that i'm not looking at it in terms of how the church could look at them to monetize because the goal of a startup even though we would love to say that it has this higher mission a lot of times people start businesses because they want to make money and if that's your starting point for a church ministry even though churches need money to survive you're going to have competing values um but I think looking at them for an innovation standpoint and how they structure themselves and how they've how they've done different things, I think it would be helpful for the church to take a look at that and to um, notice what they're up to because it's working. They've got some goals and some some ways and some structures and some systems that are working. And I, I think it would be silly for the church to say, well, because that's a for-profit business, we can't spend any time looking at that or evaluating it. Um, so I, I don't want people to throw the baby out with the bathwater because I've been in the startup world, started my own business. I've been involved in all of that. And it doesn't always have to uh, be a compete. Sometimes it can actually complement and we can learn from them. So uh, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Well, and I appreciate what you're saying because um you know, any, I think things that businesses have in common is that they're made up, they're organizations made up of people, right? right. And, and people are the same, no matter where, uh, and, and they, and organizational principles and all those kinds of things I think are, are very helpful. 
Uh, the challenge for me, and, and maybe where the source of our misunderstanding has, has come um, at times, and I, you know, you and I have talked about this a few times, so I'm making light of, of, of this as an actual disagreement. You and I are pretty much on the same page on this, but... We don't um, want to talk about the fist fight that we had? No, we don't. We <laughs> well, that yeah. was... Yeah. Wasn't our finest trying moment. To put that, <laughs> trying to put that behind me. <laughs> um, uh, but... You know, in, 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 in the book that I've just written, um, it's called Gutsy, uh, Misadventures in Canadian Church Planting. I have a chapter, it's chapter 12, on keeping your church plant and your business separated. Now, this is an idea right. that I hear a lot, Elle. Mm-hmm. And the idea is basically this. Uh, I want to start a Christian coffee shop. Um and uh, and I've talked about this in other podcasts. I've I've ranted about this in other podcasts. Uh, but I I I'm for it because the idea is obviously coffee shops are a place that people connect, people share their thoughts. They uh, sometimes get to know people that don't already know. Um, and it is a very communal space. Mm-hmm, it's very mm-hmm. natural for for coffee shops to do that. Uh, the challenge for me has always been when a church plant ties its survival to a business as a way to move forward. And I think um, as a sustainability move, and I think the challenge for me around that is first off, church plants are actually more successful in a survival sense than businesses are. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, even among experimental church plants, the, the kinds that I studied in my book, um, you know, they were only experienced a 48% closure rate um, uh, after 10 years. And in, uh, uh, you know, an American study of, of American restaurants, they found that 60% fail after the first three to five years. So that's already uh, just comparing apples to apples. And the, the crazy thing is cafes are even higher than the 60%. It's a 70% failure rate after the first three to five years. Mm-hmm. And what we looked at were churches and they survived. They, their closure rate was 48% and that was after 10. So you're, you're automatically, I think, uh, there's a problem with this as a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So let's just start there. Do you think... Like, where are you at with, with that thought? That that just the idea of tying two things together is not a good idea because churches actually tend to do better from a survival perspective than, than businesses, especially restaurants, and even more so when we're talking about cafes. Right. I think um, my first thought would be, and I think we've maybe talked about this before, but... You know, I always hear this analogy of like church plants and coffee shops, which Mm -hmm. is is a true statement, 100 percent. But I kind of wish that we would start thinking a little bit outside of the box in terms of sustainability and and how we monetize as a church, because the example is always a coffee shop. And although wonderful things happen in coffee shops, there must be other people out there with other ideas that can somehow fund the mission in the kingdom of, of, of God. And when I look yeah. at the reality of bivocational ministers, which is a huge reality, Excellent when, point. I, yes. when I look at the um, 
state that the millennials, you know, my generation is coming up in, we're saddled with debt, um, can't get ourselves into, a lot of people can't get themselves into a home, home ownership. When I look at the economy and I look at all these things, I look at giving patterns for even well-meaning Christians who want to give and tithe and be generous are still cash-strapped. Like, okay, if we're facing all those present realities, then I'm not saying business is the answer, but I am saying that there could be some talk or some creativity or some innovation that could happen around, okay, how do we fund the mission of God? How do we do that in our in our time and in our place? Um, and I think it's a failure of imagination to steal your line if we keep talking about coffee shops. Now listen, I love a good cup of coffee. I will never say no to a good cup of coffee. <laughs> and I get the communal aspect. But I think these are cues that we can take from our, our startup friends that they that they are forging a path. And startup doesn't necessarily have to be technology startups. It can be business. You know, there's people in Ontario who are, are doing some compelling things. Christians who are starting businesses that are making real change in their in their city and in their place. And I think if we start to take those cues, I mean, you know, Jesus calls us to to certain things. And um, I think when it comes to quote unquote ministry, one of the things that baffles me as a young person is to constantly see the ministry being boiled down to vocational pastoral work. And I, right. and I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling that you're called to that. But I think that could, could the spirit be pushing us to say, actually, ministry is X, ministry is Y, ministry is this. And it's not just marketplace ministry. I'm not just talking about being a Christian in the marketplace, although that's incredibly important. But could your life calling be to start a business that would, you know, let me say something crazy, that half the profits would go to fund these local ministries or churches in your area? Could could it be, you know, like, could there be these outside the box thinking um, that I don't think we've even explored? Because so often we've said church and business don't mix. Therefore, Interesting. They have nothing to say to one another. Uh, be a Christian in business, great, but don't be a Christian that creates a business to fund ministry. Those two are completely at odds, and I, I think that's just a failure of our imagination. Okay, well, you're using I'll, my I'll, own terms against me. Well, that's the joy. <laughs> well, I can get off my soap soapbox, but I think we have to try. I think we have to at least give it a go. I think we at least have to have those conversations um, at denominational levels at you know, at church levels, because, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough economic climate and we know all of that to be true. So are there ways that we can fund the mission outside of just people giving? Listen, people got to give, I get that, but there are hard, there are hard realities that people are up against. So I think, um, I would just love to see a culture of creativity and innovation around these things when it comes to church plants or funding ministry work. Thank you for answering so, that question. And I don't mean to use your terms against you, but... No, 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 no. Uh, but I, I... So just a little gentle pushback from from where I'm coming from or, or just some further clarification. You know, one of the challenges I have is that is that um, uh, church planting and establishing a business, they're, you're talking about two entirely all-consuming tasks. Like starting a business 
It's not a simple thing. It, there, there, no, there no. is something to it. But I also think, like I'm in, I'm in the camp of, say, Walter Wink that that you know says that any grouping of people, even business, has a divine calling. And I think we could explore that uh, in in a helpful way. I think David Fitch has made some good comments about that. He said, you know, his his principle of the fifteen hour a work, um, fifteen hour a week principle, where um, a church planter should never a plant alone, and I happen to agree with him on that. I think we need to do we need to explore more about what it looks like to plant in teams. He said, fifteen hours a week makes it so that um, the church begins to act more like a body, um, and fifteen hours a week though necessitates you becoming bivocational. And he said, we need to begin to explore the intersection between the skills that a pastor or a person who's entering vocational ministry already has as part of their training and to think about the way that that could actually impact or work in the business world. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's at least an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think the, the, the creativity needs to come out there. Um, also, just want to point out that, that one of the, the Canadian churches that I think does this in the most interesting way is actually the story in Sarnia. That's a group of people that have created all kinds of things that, um, um, you know, are they're at least an example or, or, or a group of people to take a look at because their uh, business orientation isn't just to make money it's right. it's how do we benefit this neighborhood how do we make this city a better place and what's so cool is they actually have by creating a sort of an innovators environment and by creating businesses that i think um promote community um but my point tends to be more around um just the impact that a, that a business uh, can have on a church plant. So let me give you a couple of examples of where I see this going wrong. So I'm I'm in agreement with you that we need better ideas and we need more innovation. And yes, the failure of imagination, that is a real thing. Um, but let me tell you what I've seen that I think doesn't work. So one of the things that I notice, with, with, so business and church, they do have different sort of fundamental things. Like a business only works if you make you bring in more money than you spend. That's a that's a basic, and you it, they can't be equal. It can't be zero at the end because you need a profit margin. The profit margin is what the business owner survives off of, and uh, and and so that's really important. So, a business is functional if it can pay a profit. A church is functional if it's able to. Uh, promote and create spiritual health among their people. So from my perspective, um, uh, where this gets messy is that a business has to operate according to business scorecard, it has to have a profit, profit margin and it has to uh, 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 live within those terms. It has to be, it has to make money. That's it has to be good, but it has to make money. And that's that's a key business principle. On the other hand, a church can operate in a slightly different way in that it doesn't have to be as profitable. Um, um, and, it, and it has to promote the spiritual well-being of the people that are in it. So if we can just keep those two things separate, I think I think we can then have a more intelligent conversation about the relationship between business and church. But a church still kind of has to make money. Yes, yes. In in that it has to pay, 
a pastor and often they have rent. And what else were you thinking there? That's exactly what I was thinking. Right. So it has to be financially sustainable. Absolutely. It has to be financially sustainable. Yes. So money, even though we would love to say on our health church health scorecard that money isn't a part of it, it still is. There's still a part of it that to keep the ship afloat, to keep it going, to keep sustainability, money still has to play a part. Spiritual health. And I wish that weren't the case. It would be wonderful to say that that weren't the case, but it is still, there is still a money equation. We could definitely do a whole podcast episode on on money itself because I, I agree with you. Money is something that it seems like even though we're the one percent of the world, you know, one percenters of mm-hmm. the world, sure. we're among the richest. Uh, money is a massive part of of uh, the church pointing reality. It's something that people want to shy away from, but the reality is, it's the I consider it to be one of the single greatest discipleship issues. Mm-hmm. of North American culture is how we spend our money and our relationship to debt and all of those oh, kinds yeah. of things. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to have somebody on to talk about that in future episodes. So I, you, you got my hundred percent agreement on, on the money part. Um, but here's what, it, here's where I start to see it going uh, wonky when churches and businesses come together. So one of the things that churches have in surplus are people. And volunteers. One of the things that businesses, uh, one of the biggest expenses in a business is your uh, employee costs. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the way churches kind of fiddle around with that stuff is that when you have a failing business, you can prop it up with an injection of volunteer hours. Um, And uh, so, so then what I think goes wrong is that you're you're failing to address some of the fundamental business fundamentals of why the business is failing, um, and you're ignoring it, or you have you stand the chance of delaying your com- hard conversations about mm-hmm. your profitability by injecting volunteers into it. The other challenge I think you get into is then you start to change the dynamics in the church, where you're saying if you want to be part of our church, you have to volunteer in our business. And I think that becomes problematic. I mean, there's also CRA issues with uh, that's the Canadian Revenue Agency um, around because you have to still act like a charity. Uh, So you have to be very careful around that. And we don't have time to go into all the legalities of that. But that's something else that I think we have to pay attention to um, um, as part of tying businesses together with churches is that churches have to think like churches and have to act like churches and businesses have to think like businesses and act like businesses. And when you tie them together uh, inappropriately, it, it really can cause some problems. Anyway, mm-hmm. we could talk about this all day. Um, I think you did a really good job in this episode. Um, I think you presented a really positive case for how the church can learn from the business world. And maybe you and I will have to do a whole episode on 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 this because I think I think what you have to say is really good. Thank uh, you. And I yeah, think what you did my, say was really good. Thank you. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is really um, from that is just really to think like a startup because startups are not like big corporate business. 
They are right. very different. And the mm -hmm. rules that they play by and engage by, it, it's a different, it's different. And so to learn from them, learn about the importance of, you know, starting with a, you know, having a founder or a co-founder, connecting with people, the way they look at their products, their mission, their vision, right. their values. It's all, it's all really helpful. And I know for me, it's really, it has encouraged me to see that happening in the business world. And it has just created a real passion within me to see those same principles executed in the church world. So uh, thank you everyone for listening to me and, and my talk. I hope that it was helpful or, or valuable to someone. All right, until next time. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening to the New Leaf Podcast. You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and starters all across Canada.